right, well, I hope you have your sermon notes with you. Uh, we're going to jump right in. If you don't have sermon notes, you can lift your hand and somebody will bring some to you. Um, I encourage you to follow along today. And so here we go. Uh, just to begin, to kind of recap us of uh, this series, we'll put it up on the screen. We've talked about the spirit of Jesus, the voice of Jesus, what Jesus hates. We talked about that. Uh, we talked about that Jesus is my friend and what friendship looks like. And then, of course, last week we talked about Jesus being our healer. And today, I want to talk to you about Jesus the man. So the title of the message is Jesus the man. And I want to answer the question, who is this man Jesus? Who is this man Jesus, and that's what I hope that somehow I'm able to help you understand today. Everything that happens on this planet happens either before or after Jesus. Just want you to wrap your head around that, that when this man is born, that everything that happens on this planet happens either before or after him. You're pretty significant if, if somehow that, that's the impact your birth made into history, that everything happens before or after your birth. Jesus changed history. Jesus, you think about it, how he changed history. After all, you think about history. I'm sure you've heard it said before that history is really just his story, right? And um, it is. You think about the history written about this man, Jesus. Over the last 20 years, over the previous 19 centuries, how much has been written about this man, Jesus? A guy named John wrote this in John 21, verse 25, he said, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. You think about that. What is he saying? He's saying we wrote about Jesus, a lot about Jesus. Lots, has been, lots of things have been written about Jesus. But if you write everything about him, you wouldn't have enough space in the entire world to write about him. It's an important thing to wrap your head around about this life of Jesus. And so who is this man, Jesus, that so much has been written about that changed the course of history? People, millions of people have, have had their whole lives transformed because of Jesus. People have given their life up and died because of this man, Jesus. Um, who is this man, Jesus? That's the question I want to answer. You can write this in your notes, just a key truth that we get from that verse. The more we know him, the more we realize how little we know him. And I want you to, just let me help you understand that. The more you know him, the more you realize how little you know him. I remember when I first started studying uh, scripture and, and went through Bible college and stuff and uh, graduated, and my first maybe year or two year in as a youth pastor, I went to the senior pastor of the church, Joel, who's still uh, involved in our church, and so you'll, you may, some of you know him, the pastor currently at Bridgeway, the church that planted us. But I remember to him, I walked into his office one day, I was probably about two or three years in, something like that, of doing youth ministry, and so I've been preaching, you know, the gospel for about three years, been through Bible college, and I said, you know, I feel like some things that, I've, that I preached a year ago, uh, I, I kind of see it differently than today. Not that what I preached was wrong, but it was kind of like I see it differently, and I'm starting to realize I don't know a lot. And he told me a, a statement that I've never forgotten. He says, you know, Ricky, the truth is the more you get to know him, the more you realize the little you know him, that you don't know him a lot. That's why people that uh, often tell me, oh, I know this really good in and out. I, I, I understand the fullness of it. I stay away from people like that. But I really lean into people who say, you know, I've been studying him for 20 or 30 years and I'm still trying to figure him out. 
And I think there's a truth in that, that the more you get to know God, the more you realize how little you know about him. In fact, that's an indicator that you know God well, is that you realize you don't know him well. And, um, and so just don't ever think for some reason that, you know, I know him better than you know him. And there should be some truth to that, maybe in some sense. But I just want you to know that there's so much to discover about him because if we wrote all about him, there'd be enough literature to fill up the entire world, according to John. So I want to do uh, just the best I can to unpack seven characteristics or seven attributes of Jesus. And certainly there is way more, but these are just seven that I chose that I felt the Holy Spirit compel me to talk on and touch on that will just help get to know who this man Jesus is. Uh, so number one, write this in your notes, a man of compassion. He's a man of compassion, all right? So today, as we talk about this man, Jesus, I just want you to consider for a minute, when the man walked the planet, when he walked the earth, who is he? What was he like? So I just want you to try to kind of take out the idea of church and religion and, and God just for a second and just look at the man, Jesus. He's a man of compassion. Mark 8 reads this. During those days, another large crowd gathered, since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. So again, the hope today is as we anchor in and we conclude this series is that you would just consider for a minute the man Jesus, not necessarily what you've heard preached about him or what a church has done, what a church has said, what churches should do, what churches shouldn't do. I just want you to kind of separate that whole thought and just focus in with me on the man Jesus. And then you tell me at the end of all of this if you want to be like him or maybe even if you like him. Okay, so he's a man of compassion. He saw people who were hungry and he fed them. All right, let's go to another scripture verse, Matthew 9. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were, two words, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus saw people who were harassed and helpless, and he couldn't just pass them by. He had compassion on them. It's a Greek word, splachnesimai, which means to have a movement in your bowels. It's a, it's a movement in your stomach. It's that something stirs in your stomach that forces you to get involved. Luke 15, 20, it says, so he got up and went to his father. This is the story of the prodigal son. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was, was filled with compassion for him. So he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. I want you to see this story where Jesus unpacks this parallel between God the Father, Jesus, and an earthly father. And this earthly father has this son who goes off in the distance and he returns home. And this dad's been sitting on the front porch waiting for his son to come back to faith. And he has compassion. He's moved. He's got such a deep movement in his gut for his son that he chases after his son because he loves him so much. He's a good dad. He went out of his way to get involved in the lives of people. So I have a question. Just think about it. And I want participation in this. By a show of hands, it's easy. How many of you would say we could use more people like Jesus who have compassion in this world? Anybody like, no, we got enough compassion in people. We're good. We're, you know. Okay, now, now you say, of course, all of you, all of us are going to go, well, gosh, we, we all could use a little more compassion like Jesus. 
Because many days, many of you drive by, drive through situations, drive, walk by people who are starving and hungry and do nothing. So just pause and just, just take a minute here because I'm, I'm going to do this with all of us, me included. Compared to Jesus' compassion and your compassion, how are you? And chances are, to some degree, you're going to go, mm, he's a little more compassionate than me. Right? Because at some degree, you're gonna, you, you, I, I challenge you, and I'm going to do this at the very end, I challenge you to try to be as compassionate as he is. And here's a guaranteed promise, you will fail at it. You will never be able to be as compassionate as he is. Say, why is that? Because he's perfect. He's perfect. All right, let's look at another attribute of Jesus, another characteristic. He's a man of generosity. Okay, you don't believe me? Well, let's look at the text. Okay, Matthew 6. Here's what Matthew said about Jesus the man. So Matthew's hanging around Jesus. Matthew's getting to hearing about Jesus and talking about Jesus. So this is the things they learned about Jesus. He's Number two, he's a man of generosity. All right, Matthew 6, 33. If you go study Matthew 6, you'll see the whole context is about money. The second half of Matthew 6 is all in the context of money, of finances. And here's what Jesus says. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. And these things, you're like, what's these things? Well, if you go read Matthew 6, he talks about food and clothing, shelter. So your main provisions, okay? He says all these things will be given to you as well. I just wanted to tell you today that Jesus was a generous man. He's a generous God. He's not greedy. He's not selfish. He wants to give you everything you want. No, everything you need. He's a generous God. Jesus loves to meet the needs of people. Look at John 10. John writes this about Jesus. He says, the thief comes to still kill and destroy when Jesus writes, I, or Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am a good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He is generous. How do you know he's generous? He laid down his life. What greater price is there to pay than to give your life? He gave more than just his wallet, so to speak. He gave his entire life. Now, how many of you believe that you could, you could, you could say, yeah, the world could use some more generous people? Anybody no, we got enough generosity in our world. We got, okay, half of you. Half of you think we should have some more generous people, and half of you like we got enough generous people. All right, so raise your hand if you think we have enough generous people in the world. We're doing great. We got, all right, how many of us would say we could use some more generous people in the world? Okay, good, thanks. Participation today. It's key because I want you to think about this. The man, Jesus, is extremely generous, so generous that he gave his life. And so generous, he wants to give you everything you need. That's pretty generous. I want to meet all of your needs. Just imagine a man walking up to you and saying, hey, from here on out, I want to care of your entire family's needs. How many of you are willing to tell me today you're willing to take care of all of my needs? Anybody? Any, any takers? No? Awesome. You've got a great church. So, I'm so glad I have Jesus then. First of all, that's what I just realized. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not dependent on these people. <laughs> okay, well, now we're with me. Now we're laughing. Okay, now we're alert. So 
The man, Jesus, loves to meet your needs. In fact, Jesus said, Jesus said, I want to meet all of your needs. That's pretty generous. That means he, he wants to knock on your front door and say, let me take care of every bill in your house. Let me take care of all the food. Let me take care of all the clothing. And he does that for every single person, according to Jesus, who seeks first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. Let me take care of all these things. He is generous. So question, how are you doing? How many of you live in such a way, how do we live in such a way, do you, do you live in this way, you knock on the doors of all of your neighbors and all of your friends and say, I want to meet all of your needs? No, but we are really good at doing what? Come on. Taking care of our own needs. I will take care of my own needs, and if I have some left over, I'll give you a little. So comparing to Jesus' generosity, how are you doing? Right? It's like, man, he's setting the standard really high. He wants to meet the needs of all people in all the world. He's a generous man. He's a generous man. All right. Number three, a man of humility. Who being in the very nature of God, Philippians 2, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God, that's important. In the very nature of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a, as a man. This is a key line, as a man. He humbled himself as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Did not consider equality. It wasn't that Jesus the man was trying to achieve equality with the Father. He had equality with the Father because of who he was in his nature. He just chose not to cling to it. I want you to think about that for a minute. As a man, you have access to all things that God has access to. You could strike anyone dead with lightning at any given point. How many of you would have given in to that temptation from time to time? You have the access to heaven at your disposal. You have the access, the scripture says that God causes lightning to hit its mark. You could cause lightning to hit your boss tomorrow for speaking to you that way. The, the, the man laughing is thinking about it right now. Well, gosh, if I had access to that, yeah, lightning would have came. Hopefully your boss is not in the room. But you, you think about that. And yet, even though Jesus the man had access to the power in heaven, he gave it up did not remove himself on the cross and left himself there, suffering for humanity. But this is who Jesus is. He's a man of humility. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way. He's been tempted in every way that you've been tempted, just as we are, yet he did not sin, the man was tempted in every way. He humbled himself. Why? Because he wanted to empathize with you. He wanted to walk in the world that you walked in and walk in. Jesus chose to walk in our footsteps, to walk as we would walk. In other words, Jesus chose, watch this, to walk in a fallen world. 
He wanted to empathize with us what it's like to walk around of a world infected with the disease of sin. Jealousy, greed, envy, selfishness, pride. And he humbled himself to do that, to empathize what it is like to live in that kind of world. And he empathized with us. Number four, a man of justice. John 8, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Then the teachers of the law, these lawyers, if you would, and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They put her on the stand. They put her on trial. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman who was caught in the act of adultery, she's caught in the act. She's guilty by all recognition. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? Verse 6 says they were using the question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin to be the, th- to be the first to throw a stone at her, cast a stone. He challenged the sexism of the world. That there was the order of the day that freed women from a horrible death. I want you to think about that. He was constantly doing the right thing. In fact, he never did the wrong thing. He always did the right thing. He was perfectly right in all of his acts of justice. Everything that he did was perfect. He's a man of justice, a man of rights, a man of truth. And speaking with a Samaritan woman at a well that I just read to you earlier today in John 4 and asking her to take of a drink, he addressed and tackled prejudicism, people who are prejudiced, racism. You go read about this man, Jesus. He was the great activist. And everything he said held to be truth. He's a God of justice. He's always right in his decisions. Every decision he makes is perfect. In fact, his decisions are so perfect, you don't even understand his decisions that he makes. I know what many of you are thinking. You think, well, then why does he do this? Why does he do that? Why does he do this? And here's the truth. You will never fully understand who he is because you are not God. The scriptures even say that his ways are higher than your ways and his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. They are not on the same page. And that Hebrew word for higher is this word exalted. His thoughts are way more exalted than you. They are higher than you. You can't fathom the way that he thinks and understand why he does what he does. But here's what you can know. He's a man of justice. He's a God of justice. And every decision he makes is right. There is no flaw in him. He's perfect in every way. His mercy and grace are endless. Look at this. Romans 3.22 says the righteousness is given, it says this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I want you to see this, that his mercy and grace are not in spite of his justice, they're because of it. I want you to catch this. He loved us so much that despite the fact that our sin demands our death, he sent his son to be our substitute upon a cross, thus demonstrating that his justice was not violated, but instead satisfied. The reason Jesus goes on the cross is because God is a God of justice. He's a just God. 
And he believes in justice. Not in the way that you do, by the way, always. We think of God as justice. We think justice oftentimes means kill him. The justice of Jesus says, kill me. I'll take their place. Humility. At the same time, a God of justice. Number five is a man of forgiveness. This man is able to forgive beyond all comprehension, quite honestly. Luke 23, verse 33. When they came to the place called Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. As they divided up his clothes and throwing dice. Jesus is able to make a statement. As they have crucified him, put him on a cross, spit him, mocked him, made fun of him, the whole thing. And yet he's able to make the statement, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. In other words, I forgive you. Imagine what it would take. In fact, many of us have heard stories like this or similar to this, where people are Mothers who have lost their children to certain different things or fathers who lost their children to somebody who murdered their own child or uh, drunk driving things. Or you, you've heard of these stories from time to time and you watch them on YouTube or social media and you think, gosh, how did you get the strength to do something like that? Because our first instinct is like, I don't comprehend how you could do that to somebody who's harmed you and hurt you. And oftentimes in these stories when people are sharing, they will reference oftentimes but God in their life, or this understanding that only his spirit can provide and allow us to forgive people who have harmed us, harmed us in such a way. And yet Jesus is able to say, Jesus the man, quoted in scripture, Jesus the man said, I forgive you for having me up here on this cross and for all that you've done to me. Just imagine what it would be like to have to live that way. How many of you would say you could use some more forgiving people in the world today? Anybody would say, yeah, I could use some more forgiving people. Okay, about six, 75% of you. And the 25% are like, no, there's a little more, uh, you know, less forgiving people. That'd be great. Too much forgiveness in our world. I'm being sarcastic in that, I know. But I want you to really grab a hold of this today. You know what? I know the world could use a lot more forgiving people. We love to be around people who forgive us. Jesus is always forgiving us. In fact, one time somebody said, how many times should we forgive somebody? And Jesus said, what is it? 70 times 7. Just keep on forgiving him. Over and over and over and over again. He, he was a man of forgiveness. I challenge you to try to go forgive the way he forgave. Just try that today. The next time somebody cuts you off, just try to forgive them. The next time you get overstepped in your company, somebody backstabs you, your spouse doesn't do what you asked. How dare they not do what you asked? You know, they left the towel on the bathroom floor, right? That's what you ladies are really going to talk about, the women's gathering, how we leave the, you know, you gather to talk about men, I know. That's why we're not allowed. It's a safe space, you know. Think about it. You overspent the budget. You keep swiping the card. I mean, just, you know, think about all the things. Your children didn't do what you asked the first time. How wrong of them. 
Many parents hold on to grudges and bitterness with their own five-year-old children, you know? I, I'm right now convicted of that. Like, yeah, I'm still angry at them, you know, holding on. Uh, maybe I'll choose to forgive him at some point. Just think about all the unforgiveness we carry for parents who hurt us, harmed us, whatever it may be. Jesus was the person who forgave. Number six, a man of patience. A man of patience. Philip said, Lord, this is one of his disciples. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have told you a thousand times? That's basically what he's saying. How many are tired of telling your children the same thing over and over and over and over again? Anybody just in that state right now, you're just like, I'm so tired of telling the same child thing over and over and over again. Now look, he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, I'm God. This is Jesus' confession. I am God. How can you say, show us the Father? Now what this text does not say that I think if he were fully human and not fully God would say stupid. Did you read that to you this way? All right, let me read it to you. See, you didn't get it. Watch. Show us the Father, stupid. Is that what it says? He's a patient God. He's willing to... All right, let me explain this again to you. Let me, let me explain this again to you. And I don't know about you, but there is a certain point that all of us have where we get tired of explaining. We say, you know what? I'm not gonna explain it to you again, right? I'm gonna use that line oftentimes in your life. I'm not gonna explain it to you again. If you have employees, a team, a leadership team, you lead projects with people, I'm not gonna explain it to you again, you know? Or then you turn the video camera off and then you make all your faces and then you put the camera back on for just a minute, you know? That's why you want to work at home so they don't have to see your face and what you really think about them. Amen? All right. <laughs> Jesus is a patient man. Look what it says in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. And look at this. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In other words, I don't want a single person to live an eternal death. I don't want a single person to die. I want them all to have eternal life. I want them to change the way they think so they can have eternal life. And I am patient. So many people, how many of you are ready for Jesus to return? You're ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Put your hands down. I am not ready. You know why I'm not ready? Because I want you to think about all the people who are not ready. Amen? I know what you mean when you say I'm ready. It was a trick question, and I got you. So put your hand back up now. No, you probably won't. No, never mind. I'll put my hand up. No, I'm not ready for Jesus to return. I'm going to tell you now, I am not ready for Jesus to return because I think about how many people will be left. In fact, Jesus said, I am patient for your sake because if I come today, millions will go to hell and not be with me where I am. So I am patient, and if I seem slow in coming, oh, man, the Lord, I wish he could just show up today. These kids today, you know, God, this world's getting so bad. I just wish he'd come back now. And yet Jesus says, no, I am patient for your sake. Okay? Anytime you're ready for Jesus to return now, I want you to think about how patient Jesus was with you. I know some of you are really holy, and you got saved at the age of two, and you've been worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth since too, but most of us haven't. 
Most of us, if you're like me, took a little while. Anybody here took a little while like me? It took a little while? Okay, some of you, right? How about some of you still a work in progress? Anybody like me at all still a work in progress? Still trying to, yeah, thank you, most of you. Amen, we're in the right church. We just call it the work in progress church. That's, that's what we are. We're just a work in progress. So Jesus is patient, and I'm so grateful he's patient with me. You ever read a text, you understood it, but didn't obey it? Anybody in the church at all today? I want to preach this. Anybody at all today ever read, read something that you know God said to do and you didn't do it? Anybody ever done that ever? Ra raise your hand. Anybody doing that right now? Come on, keep your hand up. You know a verse, and you're like, ah, no. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't strike lightning on you just because you disobey? He is so patient Amen. He's a patient man. He's so patient. Thank you, God, for your patience. All right, number seven, a man of grace. A man of grace. For it, by the trespasses of the one man, this is Romans 5, 17, talking about Adam, okay, going back to Genesis, but it says, for it, by the trespass of the one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, Adam. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, abundant provision of grace, and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Do you know what the mortality rate is of humans? Anybody know? What is it? 100%. And you're a certified doctor, right? So that counts. All right. Well, I know you're, you are a doctor, but so, you ever met a person who didn't die or won't die? No. Every human on the planet dies. It is a guarantee. You will die at some point. You don't believe that, just look back at history. People here 2,000 years ago? Anybody here see Abraham Lincoln walking around the world today? No. Anybody, anybody was born? Anyone here born in 1,026? No. You know where they are? Dead. So you're going to die. This is what the scripture is saying. You agree with Romans. You agree with Paul's writing in Romans. Everyone's going to die. Except, watch this, but he says there's a gift of those who receive God's abundant provision of grace, righteousness through life, one man, Jesus Christ. In other words, the reign of life through Jesus is much more certain. You said it's 100% chance that we die. But I will tell you it's 100% chance you live when you see Christ as your Savior. That's what Paul writes. That's grace. Grace is you don't have to die. You can live for all eternity through one man named Jesus Christ. It's the grace of God. The believer's reign in life through Jesus is more certain than death. Truth is, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you believe and confess in your heart that he's risen from the dead, you do not die. You live forever. For all eternity. 
Amen. He's a God of grace. So I want to invite you to do something today. I put the list right there on your sermon notes. I want you to choose a trait of his manhood, of his manliness, if you would. And if you're a woman, you can say womanless. That's fine. Okay? You are made in his image as well. And I just want you to do something. I want to invite you to follow that one particular trait. So choose carefully here. God is watching you. Okay. So think about it. And do not try to be Jesus and do them all perfect. Don't. No, don't try to circle them all. I'm going to. And don't circle your neighbors or your spouses or something or the one you think they should work on. I want you to circle, seriously, take this little exercise for just a minute on your sermon notes. Compassion, generosity, humility, justice, forgiveness, patience, or grace. And I just want you to circle the one that you want to work on today. You're going to try to model it today. Compassion, generosity, humility, justice, forgiveness, patience, or grace. And I just want you to circle one. Try to mimic him. And I put verses next to it in your sermon notes. If you don't have sermon notes, you can raise your hand. Someone bring someone to you. You can grab some on your way out. Take the verses that are next to that particular characteristic or attribute. Read that verse and try to live that way today in that particular area and see how you do. And if you really want to be daring, try to do it tomorrow. If you want to take it up a level, try to do it for one week. See how you do. Eventually, you will fail. You won't do it perfectly. If it's compassion, you'll decide not to be so compassionate at some point. And then you will realize his perfection which then ultimately reveals to you who he is, who's God. Say, so how do I know he's God? Because he does all of these perfectly, I cannot. There's something different about this man than me, and that's his divinity. That's how he's both fully God and fully man. It's who he is, the savior of the world. Andrews, I'll invite you up for just a minute. I want to conclude this whole teaching series Jesus I never knew. According to Jesus, he made this statement. This is how I want to leave us today in this series. We've talked about his spirit. We've talked about his voice. We've talked about his, his manliness, who he is as a man. We've talked about so many different parts of who Jesus is. But Jesus made this incredible statement. And in this series, I just wanted you to consider for a minute this man. Jesus makes a statement that Luke records for us in Luke chapter 12. And according to Jesus, what we think about him and how we respond to him will determine our destiny for all eternity. That's what Jesus said, and Luke just recorded it down. Luke 12, verse 8. Jesus' words are this. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others the Son of Man, speaking to his man side, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me 
before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Everyone Jesus called to follow him, he called to follow him publicly. Many people say they believe in God, but they don't live like him. James, the brother of Jesus, is recorded saying this in James 2. You believe that there is one God, that's good. Even the demons believe that. Even the demons believe that there is a God or believe in God. Even the demons believe that. It's one thing to say you believe in God and his existence. That's another thing to say I want to live like God. I accept who he is. I want to come to know this God, have a relationship with this God. On one occasion, Jesus turned to his disciples, keeping Luke 12 in mind. Look at Luke 12, put it up on the screen, Luke 12. On one occasion, Jesus turned to his disciples when many people were abandoning him, and he turns around to his followers and he says, who do you say that I am? And I had that question come up to me this morning through a text. Who do you say that I am? I just want you to think about it for a second. Who do you say he is? This Jesus. Who do you say he is? How you answer that question changes your life. According to Jesus, it changes your eternal destination. And there's only two options, either with him or without him. Approved by him or disowned by him. You're choosing according to Jesus. Those who acknowledge me publicly, I'll acknowledge publicly. Those who disown me, I will disown. Not because of his choosing, but because of your choice. Who do you say he is? He turns that to his disciple, and Peter says, Son of the living God, the Messiah. You are God in flesh. You are God. That's who you are. And everything you do is perfect. And you came from heaven to reveal who God is to humanity. This is who you are. You are the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That's who you are. I want you to close your eyes for just a minute. Who do you say he is? Who do you say he is? Is he who he said he was? God. He said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. And now he says to you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. he is Jesus today we want to publicly simply acknowledge you in this place and so I want to invite you to do something invite the prayer team to come down front and uh, some, some people down front today to pray with you and we always encourage you 
to ask yourself this question each and every single week. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to me? And maybe today that is simply this. I want to publicly acknowledge him as God. Publicly acknowledge him as Savior. That Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of my life. And if you want to make that decision today, we invite you to come forward, be prayed with. If you need prayer for anything today, we want to stand with you and pray with you. Don't leave here today without getting prayed for if today you need prayer. But I want to leave this way. Just even if you are a person who loves the Lord, you love Jesus, if just today you want to publicly acknowledge him as your God and King, would you stand to your feet? I just want to give you a chance. Anyone in the room, you want to. I want to publicly acknowledge him as my King. Jesus' words, publicly acknowledge me and I will acknowledge you. Dis, disown me and I will disown you. Those are his words. All right. Jesus, we acknowledge you. Just tell him, I acknowledge you as king. I acknowledge you as Lord. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And I pray that you'd bless the hearts that are confessing to you. Lord, bless them with eternal life according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.